Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development at QIC. And each Friday, we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic update from our in-house economics team. Today, I'm once again joined by our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, to walk us through what has been yet another week of economically shaping news. Good morning, Matthew. Uh, Hi, Craig, and great to be back on the QPod. Matthew, whilst overnight the S&P took a bit of a sharp turn down, earlier this week, of course, we saw the NASDAQ hit all-time highs and go above 10,000 for the first time in history. And for much of the period since the mid-March lows, the equity markets have been on a real rally. However, this is in contrast to bond yields and break-even inflation rates, which have remained close to their March low points. Recently, markets seem to turn against bonds, with rates rising, driven primarily by a lift in inflation expectations. And then on Wednesday, we had the June FOMC meeting and Chairman Powell's post-meeting comments, which brought the recent bond sell-off and equity market rally to a shuddering halt. Matthew, can we get your take on these recent events, please? Yeah, if we go back a bit, um, the swift and and massive easing of uh, monetary policy by central banks immediately following the COVID outbreak, which was led by the US Fed, did did two things to lift equity market sentiment. First, it staved off the risk of dislocation in short-term money markets and avoided a severe credit squeeze a la the GFC. And second, it gave investors comfort that in the face of further deterioration in the outlook, central banks would step up the policy dose, the so-called Fed put, which limits the downside to equity prices. But for as long as the market was focused on the downside risks to the economy and the possibility that central banks would inject more liquidity and and possibly lower rates further, bond yields and inflation expectations remained low, as you suggested. But as COVID-19 infection rates started to decline and a push towards reopening the economies began, the market gradually began to shift its focus from those downside risks towards a more constructive view on the economy and consequently away from a focus on the potential for more monetary stimulus and rate suppression to the potential positive impact on growth and inflation stemming from the enormous fiscal stimulus being unleashed by governments around the globe. And it was this shift in focus that while continuing to support equities, lifted bond yields and inflation expectations. And along the way, the change in sentiment was being validated by improving business and consumer sentiment reads, but it was supercharged by the release last Friday of the May US payrolls data that showed a surprise addition of two and a half million jobs in the US economy when expectations were actually for a loss of 7.5 million jobs. But as you pointed out, this week, delivered even more twists. And as you referred to, a key was the FOMC meeting on Wednesday where Fed Chair Powell hosed down expectations of sharp economic recovery and any prospect of an inflation outbreak and virtually no chance of a hike in Fed funds rate over the next three years. In addition, the Fed maintained quite a sombre view of uh, the growth outlook for uh, the US, expecting US GDP to fall by 6.5% this year, followed by a solid but unspectacular recovery of 5% in 2021. Then added to all of that, we are now starting to see a rise in COVID-19 cases, particularly among those US states that jumped early to open their economies, such as Florida, 
which reported their highest number of COVID-19 cases over the last week in Texas, where hospitalizations jumped to their highest level since the disease emerged. But really, I suppose at the end of the day, is it surprising that we should see market sentiment wax and wane, particularly as economies begin to open up and then most likely stall as COVID-19 infection rates vary? I think, in fact, we have to accept that market volatility will be a fact of life until one way or the other, broader immunity to COVID-19 is achieved. Yeah, and Matthew, of course, we've also seen overnight uh, President Trump turn to Twitter uh, and uh, and sort of uh, vent some of his anger at Chairman Powell and his uh, post-conference comments there. So uh, more to watch there. I was hoping we could move closer to home. And this week, we were also informed that Australia has been experiencing a significant uptick in its sentiment as we open uh, our economy up. Uh, this week, of course, we had a few of the banks provide their consumer sentiment updates, including a lift in demand for large household goods. Matthew, is this improved sentiment misplaced? Well, in- indeed, the NAB business sentiment indexes have lifted. Westpac business confidence has improved. Treasury recently lowered uh, their unemployment forecast from 10% to 8%, and house prices are holding up much better than expected. Um, while the Australian markets have followed the US trend, the recovery in our equity market hasn't been as sharp as that in the US, although I think the Aussie dollar got a ahead of itself, as did bond yields. But compared to the US and many other countries, we are in a much better position in terms of COVID-19. And I think this will lead to a less volatile recovery in the Australian economy. To that extent, I think we can look forward to a a, a better outlook in Australia than perhaps uh, the rest of the world and see some catch up, particularly in equity markets. And just staying with that Australian recovery, Matthew, and you mentioned before um, the uptick in employment in the US. Next week, we get our own May employment data. So could you give us an idea of what we could expect? Well, we have the ABS's new weekly payroll series to guide us now, and that data leads us to expect a loss of 200,000 jobs over the month of May. However, this is a significant improvement over the almost 600,000 job loss that occurred in April. And with the economy uh, beginning to reopen over June and July, we can expect a further turnaround in the labour market with job growth rather than job losses uh, returning probably sometime in the September quarter. So that, of course, sounds very encouraging. Does this mean that we can expect a quick fall in the unemployment rate, Matthew? Well, while job losses are still occurring, the unemployment rate will climb, uh, we think, to around about 8% over coming months. But unfortunately, even as we shift from job losses to job gains, the unemployment rate will most likely remain sticky. And the reasons for this are twofold. First, as businesses fire up, they will bring back workers that they stood down and who are recipients of JobKeeper payments. Now, these workers were not counted by the ABS as having lost jobs and won't affect the unemployment rate when they return to work. Second, a large number of workers who lost jobs in April actually dropped out of the workforce and weren't counted as unemployed by the ABS. As the job market improves and as the mutual obligation requirement to receive job keeper or unemployment payments is reinstated, and that requires people to look for work, 
the number of workers looking for jobs will increase, swelling the labour force numbers, which will partly offset the downward pressure on the unemployment rate arising from employment growth. Yeah, I want to stay with that JobKeeper program. Um, with the improved outlook for the economy and the labour market, you're starting to see the government considering curtailing some of these programs, Matthew. There's been a sharp turnaround from a few weeks ago, of course, where some of these commentators thought that we would need to extend these programs well beyond September's cutoff date. So what do we take away from all this JobKeeper volatility? Well, it's certainly the case the JobKeeper program has had its teething problems. It, you know, it was originally um, penciled in uh, for a, uh, an expenditure of $130 billion, and that was cut $70 billion due uh, to an area in business claims that was missed both by the ATO and the Treasury. The reason the Treasury didn't pick up the error was due to the fact that the initial misreported number of job people applicants of over 5 million workers coincided with Treasury's estimate based on a lockdown that lasted fully until September. Now we're seeing uh, a further reassessment of the program based on withdrawing payments from industries that are emerging quickly from the lockdown. And the first adjustment to the program is the withdrawal of payments to childcare businesses on the, that takes effect on uh, July 20. And with Treasury replacing it with a, an allocation of $708 million as a, as a transition payment to childcare services from July 13th to September 27th. But more broadly, the Treasury is currently reviewing the entire JobKeeper scheme and intends to release their findings on the 23rd of July. And so do you have any sort of previews on what do you think might be the outcome of that Treasury review, Matthew? Well, I think the Treasurer has telegraphed its intentions with its changes to childcare, and I think the scheme will become more targeted and hopefully more flexible. So instead of a blanket payment to all qualifying businesses until September, the government will phase out payments to businesses that are recovering quickly as the economy reopens and extending payments to businesses that take long to re longer to recover. Um, so, for example, some businesses that uh, reliant on international tourism may take longer to recover as international travel remains restricted for longer than the pace at which domestic social distancing can be eased. And I think it makes sense to extend support to those businesses so that we don't hollow out, for example, our international tourism industry, and so that those businesses in that sector are well positioned to take advantage of the eventual return of international travel. I also think that the government should reconsider its approach to tertiary education, where I fear that by excluding our universities from assistance, we are risking permanently damaging our exports of educational services. And of course, two of the uh, larger sectors in our economy, of course, there as well. Matthew, thanks again for your great insights. And with so many developments in play, I'm, I am really looking forward to hearing from you again next week. Thank you for listening to QPod. Please watch out for our Monday's Market Moments podcast and have a wonderful weekend ahead.